Christians' behavior, people talk about the founders of our nation. They used to talk about them. I don't hear it so much anymore. But they would say, oh, those guys were a bunch of deists. And that's true that some of them were in their younger life, and some of them grew out of it as they got older. Benjamin Franklin's a notable example of somebody that was a man who felt that he was responsible for the way things would be early in life. And then when they came together to put together the founding of this country, he called the people to prayer. He said that this thing that we're trying to do cannot be done unless God's hand is in it. That's true of America. That's also true of what we're doing as followers of Jesus this morning. We're trying to have a church service at Grace Chapel Primitive Baptist Church. We can't do this on our own. We have to have the Spirit of God among us, helping us, making up for shortcomings, and not just helping us like we know the way we can get there, we just need a little push to get our foot where it needs to be. We need Him leading us. Now, I was thinking about that in camp. It's been a joy to be there this week. And there's numerous examples of that while we were there. One thing that my body reminds me of this morning, and possibly Brother John as well, that we're not as young as we used to be. And playing basketball, everybody was striving to win. And nearly everybody that was playing basketball failed in what they set out to do. There was nine teams in the old guys division, old guys and teenagers division. Eight of them lost their last game. It's a lot of failure. People on their own trying to do what they want to do and then failing. And other people could talk about their divisions and similar stories. So we are prone to fail when we're doing things on our own. The scripture that I have in mind this morning is found in Luke chapter 8. And it's a familiar story. It's a story that we sung about at camp. Master, the tempest is raging. Here we have the disciples. I would say they were at a point where they were coming off a high. Okay, they were on a preaching tour with Jesus, going around the different places, and he was teaching the peoples. And they got to be there. Not just at the first village that he was at, but the next village and the next village and the next place. They were following with him, getting the parables, and then they had the after party where they could come to Jesus and say, you had this parable... You were trying to teach the people this. You were teaching the people this. And I didn't quite understand what you were doing with that. Why were you teaching that? And he was explaining it to them. They were getting an inside look at truth beyond what the regular people were getting. 
So they were coming off a high. Maybe similar to the way many of us feel today coming out of camp where we had a week of concentrated teaching and prayer and fellowship with other believers. So the dangers that were before them, I'm saying watch out. We might be there too. Might be me. Might be you. Or you. Or any of us. Could be all of us. Coming off a spiritual high where we feel empowered, strengthened, and my faith, it's, it's definitely bigger, maybe twice as big as it was last week. I can kind of stand on my own two legs and help God out here. He can help those other people over there, and I can just push my load down the road now. So here we are, verse 22. Now it came to pass on a certain day that he went into a ship with his disciples, and he said unto them, Let us go over unto the other side of the lake. And they launched forth. So they set sail, went out onto the sea after this preaching tour. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. So everything was good. They went out to sea. Jesus went down into the hold and went to sleep. We all know the song. And most of us, if not all of us, have heard the story behind the song. But they go out to sea, and Jesus been preaching for I don't know how long, and not riding in an air-conditioned car to go from place to place, but actually walking out in the heat from place to place. Probably tired, physically, possibly exhausted. Anyways, he went down into the hold and went to sleep. And there came down a storm of wind on the lake. And they were filled with water and were in jeopardy. Not the game show, but in danger of sinking. Jeopardy means they were in a desperate strait. The ship was filling up with water. They were, I'm sure, frantic. I would be frantic. I'd be wishing I had a bigger bucket or bigger arms to move the bucket if the bucket was bigger. Just bucket after bucket, trying to bail out the ship, and slowly but surely, the ship is getting closer to the surface of the water as the inside fills up, just sinking down, sinking down, sinking down. A losing battle. They had no hope of getting themselves out of this jam that they were in. It was a struggle. It was desperate. And there was a time factor involved here that made them feel that their demise was right here, right in front of them. It's time. It's time for us to go down. Is that the time to learn how to pray? Is that the time that the apostles came to, or the disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray in this time? No, it wasn't a time like this. It was an easy time like we had at camp. 
where everybody felt good, everybody had full bellies, and everybody was able to really concentrate on the subject matter at hand. That was when the disciples came to the Lord and said, teach us to pray. Now they're at a time where they needed to know how to pray. The desperate time, you don't have time to say, well, let's pull out the Bible now and where's that verse in Psalms that I'm looking for? What's that memory verse? It's Miss Writings here. She, she remembered them all. No, we can't sit down and process at that time. We need help now. They were at that time. And they were filled with water and were in jeopardy. So what did they do? They said, oh, Jesus is down there. He's sleeping. I need to go get Jesus. He can help me. Is that the right thing to do? Was the right thing to do. Maybe they should have done that first. Instead of trying to walk on their own two feet and handle themselves coming off of that high, that preaching tour. Maybe they should have gone to Jesus first. In any case, they were not calm. They were frazzled. They were worried. They were desperate. They came to him and awoke him saying, Master, Master, we perish. Now it's easy for us to sit here in a dry, air-conditioned room and say, they weren't going to perish. Or we can go to Isaiah 53. That was written hundreds of years before this. And it tells us how Jesus is going to die. He's not going to go down with the ship. So something else is going to happen. I know it looks like the ship's going to go down, but something else is going to happen. They weren't able to collect themselves and go through the prophecies and see where they really were. <laughs> Safe in the arms of Jesus. It didn't look that way. It didn't feel that way. They were goners. And they knew it. Master, Master, we perish. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased. And there was a calm. There was a calm. Jesus was still in control. And he made things easy for them again. Now, there's a risk that when we come into passages like this that we all become prosperity gospel people, right? Name it, claim it. All you got to do is believe. Jesus wants you to have your best life. He's going to deliver you. He did, it did right here for them. And then we read a little bit farther over into Acts and we find out that it didn't work for Stephen, did it? He preached possibly one of the top five sermons of all time. 
He preached the whole history of the universe from beginning to end. And he got it all in in an hour. And then they killed him. He, he got to exhibit belief in Christ in the most trying time possible. He was martyred. But while he was martyred, he didn't say, Oh God, you failed to save me. I'm trusting in you, Lord, like the disciples did in the ship, and you saved them, but you're not saving me. No, he glorified God by still trusting in God despite being slain by the enemy. So there's two ways that it can go when you get into a desperate time and you call out unto God and say, God, I need your help or I perish. One is God can rescue you like He did the disciples. Or one is He can let you glorify Him by believing in Him despite what you're going through. And this could be the persecutor's sword, which is now believable in America. We thought that, you know, Christian America, we've evolved beyond that stuff. That stuff that happened in the Dark Ages and it's stuff that will allow that it still happens in other parts of the world. Well, now it happens in America. Persecution. And maybe someday that persecution will be even unto death. Where a Christian will get to glorify God by believing in Him despite the persecutor's sword. God has a will and a plan for every situation that a Christian finds themselves in. And our duty and our response is to be the same. To believe and to follow Jesus. Not to worry about whether or not God gives us exactly what we ask for, as was mentioned in some of the sermons, I think Tim Cannon or Titus Cannon, sorry, Friday night, talking about how he asked for a certain thing and God said, no, I'm not going to give you that. I'm going to give you something better. God's ways are always better. And I guarantee you, if Stephen had the chance to go back and get a different outcome than what he went through, he would say, I'm fine. I'm good right where, right where I'm at. Don't send me back there. <laughs> Those people were not my friends. <clears throat> Hopefully you don't have the same response to this sermon that they, they did to that sermon. <laughs> master, Master, we perish. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased. And there was a calm. And he said unto them, Where is your faith? And they, being afraid, wondered 
Where was our faith? What are we doing here? Who is this guy? He was that preacher that we were following from place to place, doing wondrous things. And now he did a wondrous thing on the sea, beyond which anything we've seen before. Yeah, turning water into wine, that's pretty amazing. People don't do that kind of stuff. We had a little experiment in our Bible study group this week. We, I had one of the kids look up at the wind. We saw it rustling through the weaves, and I told them, tell the wind to stop. And they did. They commanded the wind to stop, and the leaves kept blowing. Oh, you guys aren't very good, are you? So I yelled out and commanded the wind to stop, and the wind blew stronger. <laughs> That's what happened. We noticed that we don't hold the world in our hand. The world does not consist by the mind and will of Brian Geist. It's held together in the hand of Christ. They're in the ship, and now, every degree of temperature that we experience today, every bit of relief at nightfall that we find, every good rain that we get, or storm that messes things up, is all within the hand and power of the one who holds the universe together in his hand. That's Colossians chapter 1. We'll just throw that in there as an extra. What manner of man is this? For he commandeth even the winds and the water, and they obey him. The disciples may have been practical deists before that boat ride. They may have acknowledged in their mind that God really is in control in sort of an abstract way, but he's busy with other things, and he only really cares about us if we say, Master, Master, we perish. No. God has his purposes for allowing us to go through trials, to go through pains, back pains health problems, persecutions, anything and everything that we go through is just preparation, conforming us into the image of Christ and preparing us to dwell with Him forever. None of us are ready now. If we were ready now, we wouldn't be here. But He's getting us ready. And praise Him for His loving work and care in our lives. Giving us what we need, not what we want.